What's up, everybody? It has been a long while. Welcome back to Beer Time with Books. Long time no pod. What up? <laughs> We're back and better than ever. It has been approximately three months-ish. Our last episode dropped in June. Deep into the shit show that is 2020. So we took a bit of a summer break. We took a we took a hiatus and um now we're back with a banger. We are back with a banger. It's good to be back. This is at this point season 2.5 <laughs> because we are in the middle of our season. Uh if anybody has followed the podcast in the past for the one defined season we even have uh, we do seven books per season, and we have done four. So how that normally works is we do uh, a book a piece, community choice for number four, and then a book a piece to round it out. So we've done our four, and now we're back to each of our books. So I think it's worth it since it has been a little bit to just quickly go around and say what each of our books are going to be, just so people are aware uh, moving forward what's going on. But uh also a good time to introduce yourself, and then we'll hit our classic corners. So this is Brian. The book for my uh, second choice of the season is the subject of today's episode. It is Omen Setter's Luck by William H. Gass. We'll leave it there because we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> um, hi, I'm Jamie. My book, which we will be reading after this, is The Master and Margarita. Um, off the top of my head, in this moment, when Brian didn't tell me to prepare for this, I cannot remember the name of the author <laughs> of that book, and it's very Russian, so I don't know uh, what it is. But we'll be reading that next. Hi, this is Danny. Um, third, we're going to be reading Oryx and Crake by Margaret Atwood, I think, right? That's the one that I chose. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I legitimately had, a, I was questioning it. It has truly been a while. <laughs> it's been, we, we, uh, had to remember how to record ourselves. <laughs> but what I do remember is a classic corner for the show. This is where our expertise truly shines through. <laughs> This is the illustrious what are you drinking section. Let's hit it off. Who wants to start? You start. All right, I can start. This is uh, I feel like I've had a lot of Boulevard this season, but they all have been different. I'm pretty sure we'll get into that in the season finale uh, as hey. we did last season. But I have a Boulevard Brewing Co. KC Pills, but this is a uh, special edition collaboration with the local Casey Museum, the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art. So uh, you'll see this can on our Instagram page, Beer Time with Books. Check it out. Uh, very cool. This is Jamie again. I'm drinking the same thing, the Casey pills. Uh, <laughs> and also a pineapple spindrift. Oh, what are, you, what are you drinking, dude? I double fisting. Uh, what are you drinking? A bonus. A bonus. Uh, also, smash that follow button on Instagram. <laughs> oh, <wow>. um, <laughs> at Beer Time with Books. Um, I'm drinking an Ad Astra Amber Ale from Free State Brewing in uh, Lawrence, Kansas, I'm assuming. 
We are really keeping it Midwest on this episode. Good job, everybody. Not hitting the the coastal elite, dude. <laughs> Never the coastal elite. Never the coastal elite. <laughs> we love the coast. We love you guys. Sorry. Uh, next, the next corner we have is the recent media section. It has. We really been... need a. We need a better name than recent media corner. That's for season three. <laughs> We're gonna really refine our process in season three. <laughs> Uh, but this is recent media since it has been three months. We're going to hit some ultimate highlights here. Two of your ultimate highlights from June to now. Uh, so just kind of hit hit two that you think have been heads above the rest. I think that that will be some good recommendations since you've had other pieces of media to balance it against. But uh, let's go ahead and start with that. Recent media. Anybody want to start? Want to do the same order? I can go. Okay. Um, okay. I don't know if these are heads above the rest, but they're the two things I can think of right now. Uh, I have mentioned before that I like a Dungeons and Dragons podcast called Not Another D&D Pod. Um, but their main campaign ended and they've been on like kind of a hiatus. So I needed my D&D craving filled um, and I started listening to another podcast called Dungeons and Daddies it's very silly uh, it's four comedians no five comedians um, and they play dads who have been pulled into the forgotten realms and have to save their sons and it's so dumb and I really <laughs> love it um, so if you need a good lighthearted story uh I recommend Dungeons and Daddies. I also am in the middle of uh, My Name is Red by Orhan Pamuk. I don't know that I'm saying that right. I have not looked that up. Um, which I've been reading for a while now, and I only have about 100 pages left. But I do really, really enjoy it. Um, he won the Nobel Prize in literature uh, in like the early 2000s. Um, and My Name is Red is set in... Uh, like 1600s Turkey like is that the Ottoman Empire I think um, and it focuses a lot on art but it's also like a murder mystery it's very good I really I really recommend it nice two two highlights Danny uh, pass on over to you this is really stressful I've been consuming the most content um, the last few months. That, that's what makes um, the choice even more important. That, that way people know <laughs> this is the good stuff. It's all very stressful. Um, <laughs> for those of you keeping track, my partner Will is still here in Kansas City with me quarantining. Uh, he doesn't have to go back for another month, um, although at this point I'm uh, unclear. He might just never go back. Um, we, um, are, we've been watching a show on Netflix called Dark, um, it's a German show, I believe, and we've been watching it in German with subtitles, and it's so crazy and so, like, it taught, there's, there's a lot of time warp stuff that happens, and it takes place in a tiny German town, um, and it's really, really good. Uh, we're in the middle of the second season, and, um, it's phenomenal, so I recommend that. Sub, not dub. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can really dub in this case. Oh, 
they do dub, they did try to dub and oh, i was like it was like this is it's live action like, right yeah yeah that'd be weird I anyway four seconds four se- like four seconds in i was like absolutely not we're <laughs> i want to and also like the german really like adds to the ambiance um so um dark is great on netflix and um Oh, God, I've been reading a lot of books. Um, but recently, a book I really enjoyed and really recommend is um, The Nickel Boys by another podcast author. Yeah, uh, my head. friend of the show. <laughs> friend, oh, God, no, absolutely not. Um, friend of the show, Colson Whitehead. Um, the Nickel Boys is, um, is a fabulous novel um, about a real life um, boys sort of like reformatory school. I don't really know that you could call it a school though. Uh, that in Florida, um, during um, like just post slavery, I think, uh, and it's a shattering book. Um, but it's uh, it's really good. It um, it follows his pattern of sort of like a little bit of magical realism. That's the third book of his that I've read and. Um, I really liked it just as much as the others. Cool. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I want to read that just because that was uh, a top choice, I think, for all three of us in season one for um, the Underground Railroad. Great, great novel and great discussions. If you guys want to go back and listen. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, the last uh, piece here, I have a couple. Uh, I have a show and a podcast, which is different for me. Usually, guys, usually you guys with the podcast. Uh, people, but I you I, you made me choose. <laughs> <laughs> um, so first off, uh, we watched Watchmen, and for anybody that is uh, listening to this on YouTube, I have some other older videos from when I first started on BookTube uh, on Brian's Book Bastion, and the year that I started, uh, I read Watchmen, and that actually ended up being my number one book of the year when I did my year-end list. Uh, I absolutely loved it, loved that universe, um, and they came out with the series, and we had watched it, and it was just so crazy how um, much it seemed like it was made post-2020 craziness, like so much of it tied into a lot of what's going on this year, but it actually came out last year, uh, but it was a fantastic short series um, goes off of the novel as opposed to the movie. There's just like one key thing that was different, but I'm glad that they followed that timeline, but definitely recommend that. That's on HBO. And then I started a, um, th- this is a weird thing. This is a podcast that has rebranded <laughs> multiple times. I'm in the second rebranding, but uh, it, the first one that I had started, it was, you talking you two to me? And this is Adam Scott uh, from Parks and Rec and Scott Ockerman from Comedy Bang Bang. Uh, just a couple of guys talking you two sometimes. <laughs> uh, they go through all of the discography. It was supposed to be before U2's newest album at the time, which was going to be Songs of Innocence. And I don't even like U2 that much, but I wanted a podcast where people just kind of went deep on an artist without being totally reverent to that artist, I think was what was such a draw. And one of the funny things that they do is they have sub podcasts in the podcast. What's what's our sub podcast? We have what are you drinking? Our sub podcast. So basically, they'll say some random like sentence. They'll talk about films and they'll be like, "Oh wait, is this an episode of I Love Films?" And a new uh, like song will play and they'll be like, "Oh, welcome to I Love Films. This is Scott and this is Scott." 
So I guess our sub podcast, we have What Are You Drinking? It's a podcast. I listen to it. The, the, the most brief podcast full of not non-experts on beer. So anyway, uh, they're now on to the REM uh, podcast. Are you talking REM re-me? So that's a great one if you're looking for a music podcast that is also a little humorous. And so with that, we are going to go deep into the main subject of our podcast here. Uh, we are getting into our discussion. If you hear also any barks or whines or bangs <laughs> there's a new puppy in this house uh, and he's feeling a little wild so he's feeling a little left out from the pod yeah we'll, we'll have to get him a mic for the next episode <laughs> uh we'll post a picture on instagram of this guy too we'll, we'll see what we can do um but yeah for today's episode we are going to go deep on the first half of omen setter's luck by william h gas a banger a banger let's go all right uh so as is tradition to start it off uh we're gonna do a quick summary here oh are we uh i'm gonna do a quick summary here (laughs) yeah no i couldn't tell you the the summary section is our accountability section for if you (laughs) if you chose a novel and it gets too off the rails it's your responsibility to talk about it if you want a if you want a particularly concise summary, I suggest going to Rabbit Run Part One or Two, um, <laughs> wherein I give uh, the most concise in that it is not concise at all. The play by play <laughs> of Rabbit Run. Um, I believe it was coming in at sixteen minutes. Um, Beautiful. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> If you really want to, I just have to endorse my own episode there. Go Absolutely. back and check those out. <laughs> well, I'm going to take a bit of a different approach for my summary here today. Uh, basically, how I'm, how I'm taking this is I'm going to assume the listeners out there have read the book and just go through a brief, like, Bold. touch on each of the parts because I want to get more discussion on it because I feel like there's a lot to discuss in them. So rather than give a play-by-play, which may be really hard to do in certain instances on this book. I'm just going to go through each of the sections that we've hit so far and then go to a couple discussion questions. So if I don't hit a particular part in this summary, uh, definitely bring it up in the discussion and we'll, uh, we'll see what's going on there. So essentially what has happened so far in Omen Setter's Luck is uh, this book is broken down into um, three subsections. For the entire book, uh, we have the triumph of Israbestus Tot. The triumph of Israbestus Isra Tot. Uh, we have the love and sorrow of Henry Pember. And then we have the Reverend Jethro Ferber's change of heart. Is that the last section? Yes, it is. I haven't looked forward. I, okay. I only did to get a page count. So yeah, we are with, <laughs> we're with Ferber the rest of the book. Interesting. So we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> So, so just to hit on each of these before the discussion, uh, the main parts of each of these, and, and we can dispute this because I do want to get into each of these sections during the discu- uh, discussion here, but uh, to start off on the triumph of Isra Bestus Tot, we have basically an introduction of the town where this story takes place, and that's going to be uh, Gillian, Ohio. Um, there's just a lot of stream of consciousness going on uh we get introductions to all of the different 
people that make up this town. And uh, from what I've gathered, it is taking place in the future because it sounds like they are referring to Omen Setter in the past tense. Um, but we can kind of get into that. But uh, the character of note in this section is uh, Isra Bestis Tot. He seems to be a storyteller of the town and wants to tell stories to anybody that will listen, which uh, isn't always a lot of people. Uh, but it does really <laughs> seem like quite a plain place uh, here at the beginning. It's not a lot of excitement going on. It's just kind of like people going about their lives in the late 1800s uh, here in Ohio. And then that moves into the love and sorrow of Henry Pember. Uh, and in my opinion, again, we'll get into these sections. This was the most clear of all of the sections. It felt like this had the most uh, exposition. <laughs> I'm getting a heart sign from Danny. Uh, this had we the love, most ex- love Henry. exposition of any of the sections. And we get a heavier focus on Bracket Omen Setter, uh, of which the novel is named. And a bit of the explanation of Omen Setter's luck. Uh, which we kind of got into in the first section, but this really started to get into some specific examples as to how this luck has played into uh, Brackett's life and kind of his introduction to the town. He, uh, in this case, has uh, come to town, talked to Henry Pember, and gets lodged up in uh, one of Henry's houses that's been kind of beaten down Uh, and rents that with his wife and two kids. Uh, And then lastly, we get into the Reverend Jethro Ferber's change of heart. And this is where we start going (laughs) off the rails a little bit. This section is very stream of consciousness. Uh, We get a lot of Ferber's backstory, which was interesting because I don't feel like we got a significant amount of information about uh, Ferber in the previous sections um, but also the Reverend is relatively new to the town as well um, he had been tasked to go there uh, to the church there um, in, in classic fashion of rotating pastors uh, and he's very judgmental about a lot of the citizens of the town um, and I think we'll just kind of talk about this section together uh, rather than try to to dive too deep into that. So that's just a brief look at where we're at so far. That's just the three sections we have uh, about halfway through the book. And so for the first part of this, um, I just want to kind of look at this first section here. I thought it was very interesting, uh, especially even reading about the on the back of the book. For our copy, at least, we have the Penguin 20th Century Classics uh, edition here. And from what it sounds like from the back, the two main players here are Bracket Omen Setter and Reverend Jethro Ferber. But when we're at the beginning of the novel, we don't get a ton of information about either of them. Uh, And so having gotten to where we're at now and having been introduced to more characters, what are your thoughts on that first section? And also a little bit of what, what is exactly the triumph of Isra Bestis Todd? I just kind of want to hit 
that a little bit if either of you want to jump off. So either just feelings about how that was started, why it was started in the way it was, and, and what do you think the triumph actually is? Um, I I feel that that first section is, is mostly just scene setting. Um, that's how I viewed it. Because I feel like you meet a lot of townsfolk and you see a lot of like their priorities because they're at kind of like a a yard sale or an auction or something aren't they I think I think it's an auction yeah um an auction of like somebody's old belongings and so you're learning about like what they cared about what they care about currently um but I don't other than that I don't know what I would say the triumph of Isrobestus is if I'm being honest I maybe that he is a storyteller but I I, like you said, people don't really seem to care that much. Also, yeah. he doesn't seem like a great storyteller. Like, he gets off topic really easily. Yeah. And that's what I was curious about, because I didn't really feel like I saw necessarily what the triumph was, but I was curious if you guys had noticed anything in particular about that. Yeah, I mean, the only, like, what I noticed, I, I, I did read this first chapter, like, when we first chose the book, <laughs> like, a few months, or, like, a few months ago, and... I, I reread parts of it, but I didn't read the whole thing when I picked it back up again. And the thing that I um, like this, I drew a very like I thought there was a a, a lot like a lot of similarities between the first chapter and the third chapter. Like you said, Brian, the second part felt like much clearer. And the first part and the Jethro Ferber uh, narration part, um, there's a lot. There's like some like you know weird stream of consciousness like limericks and poet and like funny poems in there which we'll get to um <laughs> but like uh you know it's it like you said it's very stream of consciousness and the only thing that like caught my eye like toward the end um was um that he says that henry pember died of omen setter's luck and it just it caught my eye in the last um in the last two pages of the chapter of the section um and I feel like a lot of the the discourse around this, like I read a lot about this book because I also needed more content than the book itself to understand what was happening. Um, the, the, the discourse around the book is that, first of all, William H. Gass wrote this book and then the manuscript got stolen. And when he, he was like almost to, done, when he was almost completely yeah. done. And he had to rewrite the whole thing. And he says in some interviews that Jethro Ferber actually was a minor character. And then he adds it, he adds him in, in his second like writing of it. And then Jethro Ferber like becomes mostly the whole book. So anyway, like the discourse seems to be that like this man, Omen Setter, comes to this town and like just kind of defies odds in weird ways, in different ways. And like, um, f for me, possibly like the triumph of Isrobestus taught is that like maybe he didn't. I don't know. Maybe he like he's saying that Henry Pimber died of omen, of omen setter's luck, but um, Isrobestus didn't like succumb to that same uh, whatever he's referring to. Hmm. You know? Yeah, I, that's interesting. Uh, I, I don't. I will say for that section, um, at the very beginning, it was overwhelming to read. Um, <laughs> just getting into the stream of consciousness of it, but having gotten past that, especially getting into the section with Henry Pimber. Uh, I actually really liked it as an intro to the novel and the stream of consciousness in this particular instance because I feel like it cools off a little bit in the second section and we'll we'll talk about that. But here in the first section, there's no quotation marks. There's no like he said, she said for the most part. Uh, I, I kind of like how that introduces the town where 
you know, you're not getting this person or this person is that important. I, I like the scene setting here and it is only 30 pages. Mm-hmm. Um, so as overwhelming as it was at the beginning, looking back on it, uh, I, I actually do really like it. And I think that, that was an effective use of, of what can be a really confusing writing style that it, it kind of uh, really talked about like how this town runs and the hustle and bustle of the small town where like, there's a lot going on, but there's a lot of familiarity with everybody where people are just talking about other inhabitants of the town and telling stories. And I, I really did like that. And it gave me a good feel for Gillian overall. Um, but uh, like I said, in retrospect, I think that became clearer to me. Yeah, I also think in retrospect, the first section was way easier to read than yeah. Herber's section. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was I feel like the first I, the first six pages I read twice because I had to start over because I took too long to come back to it. Um, and I feel like those first six pages were hard, but the rest of it, like I mostly understood what was happening in that first section. Um, and I agree that it, it felt corner, so, like you're in the middle of a scene and you're just hearing lots of things, um, but they mostly made sense. Yeah. Uh, whereas I don't think I'd say the same thing for later sections of the novel. Yeah, and especially knowing that like Brackett and Jethro supposedly being some of the main characters, and I'm sure we'll get into more of that in the second half uh, from what it sounds like, um, but I liked it more that, you know, without attributing it to all these people, that it wasn't as important to follow everything to a T. I feel like there was enough information to grasp onto um, to then lead into the next part and and get a little bit deeper um, on who else is in the town. Um, but that, that was just something I, I kind of wanted to highlight because I know when we talked about this way earlier, a couple months back when we were like thinking we were going to do an episode so quick that all of us were kind of uh, had this feeling of like, oh, what have, what have we gotten ourselves into? Um, but it, it was nice to look back on it and kind of see that. So overall... Um, I, I did enjoy that part of it. And that moves us into then uh, the love and sorrow of Henry Pember. And so this is starting to get into more exposition here. As I had mentioned, uh, Omen Setter and his family have come into town um, and get acquainted with Henry through somebody else. Uh, Matt, I believe, was the character's yes. name who was this... Um, middle middleman for this meeting and uh from what i recall it was kind of something that henry was a bit charmed by bracket there was something about him that like let him get into this deal so easily um which was fairly interesting of you know getting introduced to bracket in such a way um but then it started to feel like there was a lot of instances where characters were also reserved about Bracket as well. Um, so at the very beginning, we, we do get these descriptions of Omen Setter's luck and, and this initial interaction that allowed him to find shelter for his family. Um, but I also was starting to pick up some instances where like, Henry Pember's wife, for instance, was like, what's up with this dude? She wasn't that okay with him being there. And other instances where I, I feel like we started to get um, 
some of that from other people in the town as well. Um, what did you guys kind of feel about Brackett when we finally start to learn about him? Like, what did you guys pick up on there? And, and did you get a similar feeling about that, about the general vibe of, of Brackett? Or, or kind of how did he strike you when he finally made his true entrance into the novel, not through a story from Isra Bestis, but through him actually being there in person? Um, my impression, and like, this is maybe still my impression. I, there's probably a lot that I'm missing just as a that's, And that's, that's why I want to like, just talk about it in general. Cause I feel yeah. like I've missed a lot as well, but, but just curious on those impressions. I felt like there were, there were multiple sections or mul- multiple sentences that talked about specifically like quoted Omen Setter's luck. Like that was Omen Setter's luck. And nothing that was mentioned that I remember seemed that remarkable. Like, everybody seemed really infatuated with him, but nothing, there wasn't, like... Well, let's let's hit that real quick then, because I feel like there were some examples, and I'm curious for, Danny, what you thought about it as well, but, like, just a couple of instances of, like, not covering the wagon and the rain didn't come when it should have, the flood coming to the house that had been so uh, so impacted by floods of the past where they were, like water lines on the house when there was a big flood that didn't happen either I know but those things don't seem like I guess when I when I kept hearing that like oh omen setters luck I I feel like I assumed that he as a person like had some quality that made him really great and lucky and people like helped him a lot because he was charming or whatever. But like those things are just coincidences. And I guess that's what luck is. I just like, I wasn't impressed by it. Every time it came up, I was like, oh, okay, it didn't rain. That's cool. <laughs> like, is that, why am I, why am I supposed to be impressed by this man? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of assumed that like, uh, like you said, Brian, earlier when you said we were hearing about this, like, from the future, I, I like, for a second pictured that you thought this was, like, a, that you legitimately thought this was taking place, like, a hundred years from now. <laughs> <laughs> this novel, dude, they are. <laughs> a futuristic goddamn apocalyptic. Um, but I kind of got the same vibe where, like, there were these, like, little instances of, like, the wagon in the house and, like, and also, like, the townspeople sort of like there was like some gossip among them about like his choices in general and i think part of like the legend of omen setter's luck like it became a thing because everybody was like so like everybody was like kind of bitter about him like they sound bitter they sound like like especially henry in henry pember's voice it sounds a little bit like well like oh that's an interesting choice i wouldn't have like chosen to do it that way but like it worked out for him that's like kind of the way that i was like interpreting that and then I I also like got I understand like your I wasn't super impressed with also his like um the things he managed to, to like escape just because just like by nature of being like kind of uh, I don't know like flighty or something but um I I was I took that to mean that like there was something that happens later or something that happened or will happen that like uh that like sort of like foreshadowed like a bigger event that you know he might escape or might have escaped that we don't know about yet yeah 
I assumed as much. I just was wondering if there was something big that I missed in this section well, that well, I feel like like they just keep talking about it. Well, what I'll say is I, I actually did like how subtle the examples were because, you know, it, it created some element of like mysticism around Omen Setter without it being so overt where they were like, oh, like the somebody shot at him and like a bullet just happened to whatever curve because of well, the wind. Didn't he? Didn't he also like this is the part where he cures Henry Pinber's right. lockjaw. Right, and so and yeah, so that, that's so that's part of it too. And like even him wanting, even yeah, even even him wanting like a boy, for instance, like that's another lucky instance of like he had two girls and his wife was pregnant and the boy came like. I liked how subtle that was because it like still grounds it in this novel where like it still feels realistic and it's a interesting way to like add intrigue to what is otherwise a very commonplace uh, story from what we had seen in part one. Cause like I said, it didn't really feel like anything extraordinary happened in part one. Even a lot of the stories that uh, is Rebestus taught were was telling didn't really have anything that much of note that was like worth stopping for as noted by all of the people that didn't stop to listen to him. But I liked that it was so subtle that it, it was enough evidence for even like people skeptical about it to still be like, Hey, something's going on here. Um, and I think to that point, because, you know, when we're also talking about Omen Setter's luck, Danny, as you had mentioned, it also got mentioned in the negative sense where they said Henry Pember died of Omen Setter's luck. It, I think it is interesting to even see what Omen Setter's luck is, that it is so seemingly unremarkable that, like, that streak of luck could be broken. It's not like it's something that seems impenetrable, uh, but it's still something that's of intrigue. And I, I kind of liked that a little bit, but... Um, it is interesting to to hear that, you know, it, it was deemed as somewhat unremarkable uh, to some yeah. degree. I also like just assumed that, you know, in the what year is it? Nineteen. I think eighteen ninety something. Maybe just eighteen. Eighteen ninety something. Like I don't know. I don't want to discount the eighteen nineties, but like. <laughs> Whoa, Danny! <laughs> just load entirely. You're gonna offend a lot of our listener base. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but like, you know, this is the, those things that like we're finding kind of unremarkable. It sounds like they were trying to latch onto something that was like maybe remark, like remarkable for like what was happening in this like already sleepy town in 1890 in Ohio. And so I kind of feel like, uh, you know, like a small town, like they, they sound like they're latching onto something almost like they're making a thing out of something that like maybe isn't even really a thing. And Omen Setter is just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just living my life. And like, here they are just like, <laughs> I'm just living my life. <laughs> That's how I feel. Uh, here in Ohio. This whole book, I've been kind of like, this dude is just trying well, to live his life. And everybody is making all this drama a- around him. Like, I don't understand. It's also worth saying that, like, I mean, I know we're assuming most of our listeners have, like, probably read this book, but, like, Omen Setter is not really, like, we don't, he's not a narrator as far as we know, and so, like, in any of the sections, like, 
it's like we're learning about this person just like through other people like around the periphery like sort of like like the way that you would like tell somebody about somebody else like who lives in your apartment building or something you know like they're we're really like not like we don't interact with him directly very often except for in the second part where Henry Pember is the narrator and yeah. that isn't very long and so Omen Setter is really kind of an enigma and so is his family um, yeah, that, that is an interesting point. Like, if it was told from Brackett's point of view at this point in time, it may just very well be like, yep, went to the river with my family and had a good time. I moved. Like, the I, rain you didn't know. come. Chill. Everybody's nice. looking at me funny. Like, I don't know. I think that's yeah. a cool choice, though, especially that, like, you know, so su- <laughs> so surprising that the book is Omen Setter's luck, but we don't actually hear from Omen Setter himself uh, yeah. at this point. So. Um, that's kind of interesting. And then just so we can have a little bit more time, just a short thing here, and we'll probably get into it more with the next section. Uh, but again, with the title here, any interpretations of the love and sorrow of Henry Pember um, as to why it was named uh, that way? I Here's the thing. I have thoughts, but I like genuinely think that I'm reading this book incorrectly. Like, I genuinely feel like any of my interpretations are just going to sound dumb. But that's fine. I feel like this book is definitely one that, like, requires multiple readings because it's not so clear. So, like, just out of curiosity of what you've read into it so far. Okay, so Love and Sorrow of Henry Pember, my opinion from that (laughs) section, that section to me read extremely, like, homoerotic. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Like, the last part especially. I'm glad Danny's nodding her head. Like, I felt like Henry was in love with Bracket Omen Setter. Like, there was a gay bromance going on where he really, like, he viewed this man as perfect and really, like, wanted to get in with him and also maybe hates his wife. So I think that's the sorrow. And then the love is for Omen Setter. (laughs) In- interesting. Does, uh, Danny's nodding, so maybe that's not an entirely incorrect interpretation. But the last like ten pages of this section felt like th- it was like Bracket and Henry were off on a cliff somewhere together. I don't really understand what they were doing. I thought they were about to have sex, like genuinely. Uh, the way it was described, it, I would have it to was go back. semi-intimate in that instance, especially when they like hit that point where like the wind stopped yeah, and they had he, that little code. He kept describing like the way Omen Setter was talking and like looking at yeah, him. Yeah, and he seemed a little distracted, I guess. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. <laughs> I don't know. Danny, thoughts on that? Yeah, I... <laughs> All right, I'm going to expand this to the whole book. I keep reading... Like, I keep feeling like like there there are, like, erotic metaphors around every corner of this book. <laughs> Which we'll like, get to. We'll get to. So I mean, Jethro yeah, Ferber no. is for sure erotic. We'll, 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 we'll move into that well, quickly, right. but just, just on, yeah. Yeah, so I, yeah, I don't really, I, I'm, I mean, I don't really have, the love and sorrow of Henry, P- Henry Pember just felt a little bit like he was sort of um, waxing poetic for a whole few chapters about, like, he just felt a little bit woe is me, and he felt like he was kind of like the the love and sorrow of Henry Pember sounds like uh, the title, like something you would title like um, an angsty novel about yourself when you're like eleven. 
Like, like, and that's what it felt like to me. Like, I, I don't, I can't point to like a specific instance, but like the whole section just felt a little bit like Henry Pimber, like wrote sort of like a, like a little memoir, like a little mini novella, like memoir thing. And then he just like titled it this because he was just like, my life is just, it's so full of sorrow. And I am just, I'm such a romantic. And that's kind of how it felt for me. Yeah. Well, interesting. So, so that's two of the sections here now. Uh, so that's going to move us into. You didn't uh, say what your opinion was. I, I'm, I'm leading the discussion. I don't have to get into that much. I, I, uh, what? Isn't that the whole podcast? Do well, you, wait, I, I, I just want to have more time also to get into this last part because this is the majority of the book and I want to like set the tone here. I genuinely wanted to hear if you agreed with me. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I feel like it makes sense. And, and again, these titles all have been relatively like confusing to me and I don't have like a definitive answer myself. But like, You didn't think it was a porn? <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were about to bang. Well, I, I think the sorrow definitely like was in relation to, you know, we got into the part with his injury with the fox, um, mm-hmm. which we haven't really gotten to. And I just want to hit this quickly because I want to get our last section here. But like the fox fell into the well outside the house that Brackett was renting from uh, from Henry and they got into a bit of an argument about it. Henry shot the fox, got an injury, and that's like setting off um, what seems to be some action for the rest of the book. So like the sorrow seemingly have to do having to do with like his injury, for instance. Like I was reading it at at a very basic level, and then like the love <laughs> being his relationship with his wife that seems a bit strained. Mm, okay. <laughs> so that that's just my interpretation of it. Like I I definitely see where you're coming from, and I'm not saying that that's definitive, but like mine was a very cursory like interpretation of what that was so mine feels cursory to me so it's cool. <laughs> so uh that moves i us like into... jamie's the best <laughs> yeah jamie's definitely has more panache uh, so... i want panache from this book you guys <laughs> panache <laughs> so that moves us into our last section here the aforementioned, the Reverend Jethro Ferber's change of heart. Uh, and as we had also said, this is the rest of the book. Buckle in. We are off to the races on this one. <laughs> Strap the fuck in. <laughs> so, uh, as we had mentioned previously, uh, it is a very stream of consciousness. As Jamie, you had mentioned, it made the first section that we were initially intimidated by seem more tame <laughs> by comparison which I think says a lot in, in that case. Uh, but what's interesting here is we really do get such a deep dive into Jethro Ferber uh, and into his twisted mind, really. I, I don't feel hesitant to say that because of what we get to see from his internal thoughts. This is something that we get more of a first-person perspective, though the novel overall is told in the third person we get more first person perspective from Jethro than from anyone else uh, and that includes getting into like his past how he came to be a reverend uh, you know all of these various details and uh, I'm just curious to start off the discussion because I know everybody had talked about the confusion with the section what are just a few things that you had latched on to, either that you felt were important 
or even just like the style of it, just anything that you latched onto. I just kind of want to get from each of us just that table setting because, you know, we don't have to read that much into it. Just thinking that the second part is going to continue uh, on with the style with Jethro Ferber himself. Um, I just want to take the rest of the time to in this podcast episode to just kind of see where we're at. So uh, any anybody want to start on that? And like I said, it can be anything that you really latched onto, despite all the confusing things, things that stuck with you having gotten to this point. Um, I will say that I felt like this this first section of Ferber's section because it's divided into like chapters. Yeah, we hit we hit uh, two. Yeah, a couple chapters in his section. Definitely, at least in this first section, I felt or three. Like, we hit three, I think. No, we hit two. Hmm. We ended with the end of the second one. Um, in this first section, I felt like the style kind of was meant to mimic his um, thought process a little bit. Like I felt like we had. 10 pages of nonsense and then five pages of clarity. And I feel like maybe that's also true of his brain functioning. Like, I feel like he has moments of being like, oh, I am aware of what's happening in the world. Yeah. Um, Of like being lucid. Cause there were sections that like just made sense that were just a story. Yeah. That was a very surprising thing that it wasn't a total like confusing ride it did wrap back around here and there yeah and then it would go back into some nonsense and then back into like oh we're lucid again okay we know what's happening so I felt like maybe that was sort of mimicking how he goes through life um I also latched on to the fact that he's always been this way right like it describes his childhood a lot and how his parents like started keeping him away from any activity because they felt like it was turning him into a devil boy or something. But he did have a disability as well. I think that's worth mentioning that he had like seizures and whatnot. He said that he had some sort of palsy. Mm -hmm. Um, So like that helps inform a little bit of that. And I think that helps inform somewhat of like why he is the way he is along with his upbringing. Yeah. Um, And anything else? What else was I going to say? I don't remember. Danny, you go. I latched on to very little. Um, <laughs> Just I, anything. Anything is fine. Yeah. I mean, like I said earlier, uh, before we started recording, like, I um, really tried to focus on, like, just what I was reading. Like, every, like, like, I wasn't trying to get too into the weeds, but just, like, every, like, uh, every time I could, like, latch on to, like, a scene setting sort of situation where, like, every, whatever you said, Jamie, like, 10 pages where he, like, talks about where he like sounds a little bit clear and it feels like a story. Um, I also felt like, um, uh, oh, like the, like the limp, like the dirty, like limericks that he would tell every so often, like felt very, um, I don't know. I didn't know what to make of them, but they felt like stepping stones to me. Like, I don't know if we were supposed to, maybe we can talk about this, but like, I don't, were we, are we supposed to assume that, like, he's telling them to himself? Are we supposed to assume that, like, the author is, like, making an aside? Like, is this, like, a third person kind of situation? Like, I was really, like, uh, like, are these, like, 
rhymes that like children like used to mock him when he was a child. Like there were, I I I felt like simultaneously very confused by those, but also like they were kind of like like little like um uh like bookmarks or something. Um and then finally the last thing is um uh he like I found it really I found it helpful when he started making lists of things, I can't think of, I can only think of, like, one example right now, and I think it was when he started making a list of, like, the trees, the types of trees, um, at some point. Um, <laughs> well, just, like, just, foliage in general helped ground him some somehow, yeah. Gardening. Yeah. yeah. He loves so, to garden. Yeah. Yeah, there were times where he just, like, started making lists of things, and, like, those were, like, it was almost like it took me a few lines to, like, understand what he was talking about and then it was like oh like he's making he's like he's making a list of something that like has a common theme um and so that seemed like um a narrative device but also like a like maybe possibly a way that he keeps himself grounded like in his own thoughts like by like almost obsessively like like listing things um yeah but like i couldn't tell you what happened (laughs) (laughs) um to your first point with the limericks and also just his narration in general I read most of this as him talking to the dead man in the ground Andrew Pike yeah well there was that significant portion where it kept coming back to that which I actually really liked that part yeah, where it kept I like being like and like Pike said or something yeah colon whatever random thing and I feel like a lot of the limericks came up in that of like him be- he was like telling jokes to this ghost who, essentially who, who, who was exist. the who was the reverend yeah. of this church earlier yeah um which i did i did genuinely enjoy that i like that section i did like the oh. most, yeah i like talking to dead people also, even I if mean, it's just in his mind <laughs> yeah it felt very it felt like kind of linko lincoln in the bart linko lincoln in the bardo esque um uh, the last thing also is that like Jamie brought this up earlier with Henry Pimber, but like there is a lot of aggress like aggresh aggressiveness. Um <laughs> he, he he's like a very aggressive speaker. Um just like about like women and about and he's like kind of violent, but he's also like very sexual and like like violently sexual. And he's also extremely horny. There were like pages where he just like is horny, I think. Just talking about like nipple size for a long time. Or like he's talking about touching somebody's knee and he like, you know, I mean. Which which I couldn't get a read on if this was something and Jamie and I like only barely, barely, barely touched on this uh, earlier today. If this was something that like happened earlier on in his childhood that like caused this to be, um, you know, it caused him to develop in a stunted way sexually because of the particular um, instance he said of, I can't remember the name, but somebody showing him under their skirt or something. Yeah. Fat someone, someone who was fat. He loves describing women's size also. Yeah, no, he really did. I can't remember which woman it was, but at one point it was Ruth. Yeah, Yeah. it might be Ruth. At one point it was Ruth. And then there was Lucy. Is Lucy somebody's wife? Is Lucy think, Henry Pember's wife? I think wife? that's Henry Pember's wife. 
Yes. And because she- they're... Because at the very end he, of the section, he goes into her house, right? Like, somebody yes. summarized that And for Henry me. left. Yeah, something's going on with Henry at this point, which, like, that's, that's, again, one of these instances of even in the midst of this craziness, like, we are still getting some narrative movement forward, mm-hmm. even in the midst of yeah. all of this uh, stream of consciousness. But with the childhood trauma, the thing that led me to that, because I asked Brian, I was like, did something happen? Because there's more than one moment in his section where, like, he says that his mother said, he overheard his mother saying, like, I think something happened to him. That's not the phrasing she used. But well, it, also something with his aunt. I, and I yeah, wish I could like, read more into that. Like, maybe something happened with his he, aunt. He did it. I think he knows. Like, it's something like his mom thinks that something happened with him. And it sounds like maybe like his aunt or some other adult woman like possibly assaulted him. Um, and that has le- left him like sexually stunted. Um, because he he has a very complex relationship with sex. And he also seems to have a bit of little man syndrome. Yeah, he does. He talks about penis size a lot. He talks about Bracket Omensetter's penis not, rising in the river. So just, he just to clarify, just to clarify, Bracket Omensetter's penis. Just, just to clarify, I'm not necessarily just talking about penis size in this case, but but sure. I am. I know I, I, he does. Sure, so. sure. Yeah, but he but he's also described as like a small individual, mm-hmm. like just his general makeup. So um, yeah, he just he does a lot of like talking about like. Um, talking about sex, I agree. I would agree. I hadn't thought of that, but I, I agree with like probably like there was there was definitely some sort of incident that happened to him that like possibly caused like some sexual like like stuntedness. But he also like apart from that feels very sexually frustrated. And I especially like, well given the religious angle too though like that yeah I took that I I I took that like as a like as a reverend like I don't really know if he was like giving a like giving a sermon or doing a service while he was like while any of this was happening i i there were parts where i felt like he was at church at one point i think he was and he was like giving a sermon or he was greeting congregants or something and like he was like busting out of his like priest robes practically like he was so horny for like five women who were at the service if i'm reading it correctly and like there were so many times where like i just pretty much assumed that like the the religious aspect aspect was what was making him so sexually frustrated and he he talks about it a lot and sometimes it's very obvious and sometimes it's like very subtle and like gated um but i also latched onto that <laughs> i feel like there were moments too though where he kind of like tried to acknowledge that he is a priest like he says something of like like something very sexual blah 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 sexual 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 and then he'll end it with being like but none of that now it's god like he says like (laughs) he acknowledges that like he can't or isn't supposed to be doing those things or thinking those things yeah yeah and 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 so all of that like there's definitely that at play um which is very interesting that'll be interesting to see how that uh, develops moving forward. Uh, one one thing that I thought was interesting, though, is we talked about like that aspect of it of like you know whatever had happened uh, in his childhood, um, his development, and that he is a bit twisted. But the juxtaposition of all of that that I noticed when reading it is that the writing is actually surprisingly really like beautiful. Uh, 
in my opinion, like, like it was such a strange thing that we are getting all of these thoughts, but like, I feel like in times that I was losing the actual narrative and it was like one of those moments where we've talked about with previous books that we've had, notably, um, uh, Vineland, but just kind of like where you got to push forward and you're, you're kind of reading through, but what kept drawing my eye in those moments were like how often there was alliteration in sentences, like so often. And like mm-hmm. all of these, rhyming. all these random rhymes outside of the limericks, like yeah. it would just be, you know, sentences that all of a sudden were just like go into this very lyrical, like way of speaking in the midst of like some really ugly stuff that's getting surprised. And that was such a surprising thing. And actually made, despite how confusing it was, it actually made it really enjoyable for me. And I know that like to, to some eyes it can be like, Oh, just, you know, speaking to William Gass as a writer, just like, Oh, he's just, you know, going off and flaunting his, his pen, whatever. I, I thought it really was like great writing, uh, to that degree. And I, it made it more fun in the midst of all of that, that there was still something to latch onto and not just like a bunch of random sentences going nowhere. Like you guys had said. Uh, and it's interesting to get your guys' perspective on it because in hearing a little bit from both of you and even from my own perspective, like we all had some confusion with it, but like there was stuff to latch on to in the meantime. And like to, to my opinion, apart from all of that, because of those aspects of it, of like how lyrical it got, uh, did make it an enjoyable read, even when I didn't necessarily know what was going on. And I hope that that continues for the second half. Um, I don't know where that's going to go. Um, so that was one thing that I latched onto. And I also just thought it was so interesting. We got such a large chunk because we had talked about, you know, different things here of like um, his disability, for instance, and like his sexual upbringing, for instance, also his relationship to religion overall. Um, something that I latched onto was that large chunk where he just goes through the Bible. It's like right after his mm-hmm. family or his parents have taken all other books from him and he gets into the Bible and, and it goes through so many stories for multiple, multiple pages. And it's just like the most brutal, the most gruesome, the most gory stories of the Bible. It wasn't a lot of like, you know, the feel good stories of like, and Jesus came and washed her feet or like, and Jesus rose again or whatever, or like any of these things shepherd or like stories of shepherds or anything else. It was all the stuff of like the wrath of God, the, you know, the horrible acts of violence that many uh, individuals in the Bible uh, partook in. And, you know, that's just such an interesting thing for somebody who, you know, in a small town is a central pillar of like religion in this town and like how that's going to develop moving forward where like he is trying to get a following back again. We kind of got into this instance where people had been going away from the church, but going back to like the foliage stuff in the garden where he's trying to like improve like the grounds to some degree and get people back to the church and like what that's going to lead into. Cause it also seems that he has significant problems with people in this town, thinks that they're a bunch of sinners. And in particular, we haven't gotten a lot into it, but like has something against Omen Setter himself. Yeah, very uh, much bitter about Omen Setter. Especially also, after, and just to tie it in briefly to the other section, but about the healing of Henry Pember, mm-hmm. that that everyone didn't attribute it to the religion and the praying over 
uh, Pember, but two Omen Setters Cure. So, I also though felt like I don't know, and again maybe I'm just misreading things. I felt like there is at least one section in his narration where he like seemed kind of um, skeptical of his own belief system. Like I felt like he was kind of mocking the congregation at some point, and I don't have any quote for that, but. I remember feeling that way. Um, And also that he was, because you said that he was, in your earlier summary, that he was sent to uh, Gillian um, as like a normal rotation. But I read it more as like the church sent him there as kind of a punishment. And he knew it. Yeah, I guess that I do recall that. Yeah. Like that he was like that something went bad somewhere. Yeah. And I, this I gu- is like a bad small town. I guess I just tied it into like the tradition of rotation of uh, pastors and, yeah. and preachers. But that, I do recall that for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I just. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. And then we'll, we'll get to final no. thoughts here in a second. Yeah, I just wanted to one thing that you said when you were talking about how, um, how like the the writing sort of saved for me the writing sort of saved parts of like uh of the book when like the plot wasn't happening when like there really wasn't a plot um and i think i think it's that gave me a little bit of vocabulary to talk about like what i was missing from violent specifically like i think violent prepared me for this book <laughs> but because like also like let's be real i'm like i read a lot of things but like this wasn't this wasn't super enjoyable for me and neither was violent but i this was more enjoyable because uh because the writing felt like poetry like i i wanted to like read it out loud and i i read parts of it out loud because like um because parts of it were so um they yeah they just felt like they felt like poetry they felt very poetic and beautiful and some of his um stream of consciousness was kind of like inseparable and like like (laughs) gross and aggressive but like there were other parts where like if I had read it out loud it would have it would have just like read like you could like throw some spaces in there and like put it on like a white background and put it on Instagram it was such a weird juxtaposition like so strange in the midst of all that and and also like for yeah I don't know it was it was interesting because I think I missed that a little bit from Vineland um just just writing wise like um i felt like um this was a little more poetic this was a little more um of a of an experience to read um so like when there wasn't plot happening i could i I could focus on words even outside of like the 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 limericks that he told himself or or um this ghost he was talking to yeah definitely uh so with that then we are going to move into some final thoughts um just as you're thinking about it, I'll just throw out a couple of things to potentially hit since it's been a while. Uh, <laughs> um, so if you've been enjoying uh, the book so far, how you think it's going to develop, especially, as I mentioned, just from the back of, you know, this um, potential butting of heads between Bracket, Omen Setter, and Reverend Jethro Ferber, um, you know, what you think that's going to develop into, um, you know, just any predictions in general on, you know, the state of Henry, since it seems to appear that because he was mentioned again in uh, the midst of Ferber's section, that 
something is presumably going to go on there, especially with his relation to uh, Omen Setter, um, just anything like that. So yeah, did you know thoughts so far? Whether or not you liked it, and any predictions or any other things that we didn't hit that you want to um, just speak to before we uh, call this one good. Anybody want to start? I can. Yes. Um, I don't know. I will be honest. Not my favorite book so far. <laughs> um, I feel like, like I don't know. There are parts of it that I really enjoyed, but also overall, I feel like it's been kind of like um, uneventful. Uh, I hope that there are more events going forward. I think there will be. I feel I'm, like there will be. I'm interested in what's happening with Henry, um, where he went. And, and why. his love affair with Brackett. I think him and Brackett are going to get married. Um, um I I do I like I like the writing. I did think that there were a lot of sections like lots of moments in this book that were funny to me. Um, which is a little bit surprising from like my first impression of the novel. Yeah. Um and also, the more that I read books that Brian uh, recommends and wants to read, the more I need him to read Virginia Woolf. And that's all that I have to say. <laughs> nice. Good good recommendation plug right there. Yeah, you need to read Mrs. Dalloway. <laughs> I definitely want to. I definitely want to. I, I wish I would have hit on that on Other Stream of Consciousness and how that relates, but maybe we can touch on that on the next episode. Yeah. Uh, Danny? Final thoughts? Yeah, I too am hoping for a, a good old 1892 gay wedding. Um, but, but, Happy um, ending, all good. <laughs> like um, when they said that Henry died, they meant he died of happiness, right? Right, they right. meant that his, yeah, I, yeah, it was, um, I really think, I don't know, I, I am surprised at enjoying like i'm surprised i'm enjoying this book i i mean i am enjoying it like more than i thought i was going to um and uh yeah i'm i'm looking forward to like learning more about omen setter if that is in fact the point um and um also like i don't know i hope more events happen i hope more things happen and like it, i hope it's a little less pondering and like just thinking about like the world and like Jethro Ferber's like childhood um and his life um but yeah I don't know I I have enjoyed like reading it sort of like it's poetry um and I also think that I like have learned a bit like how to read this kind of book and like to not be stressed about plot all the time because that's like not always the point and like that um, makes me very know, happy <laughs> that that because of the I mean, podcast that makes me happy could have fooled me that like plot doesn't fucking matter but like whatever um i'm not happy about it um but uh but also like i i read a lot about william h gas today and um and i think that's also helped just like learning about him and learning about like other books that he's written i am interested in learning more also about why like whenever i read about him there isn't a ton of like talk about this book in general like it's not you can't find it on cliff notes or spark notes just fyi um <laughs> danny you need to look <laughs> oh i 
I did. Um, what, was it also, like the like, tunnel or something? Was that the one that you saw more? So yeah. The tunnel is is the one that is more spoken about, yeah. but like. And that was way later. He wrote that like in the '90s or something. But like. I, it's just interesting because, like, Omensetter's Luck is one of the books that, like, people talk about when they talk about William H. Gass. Like, and so the the lack of sort of, like, a ton of public discourse about it, while also every time you read about William H. Gass, everyone is just like, like, Omensetter's Luck is the thing that is, uh, that, like, everybody, that, you know, apparently that everybody liked, that, like, was a big deal until the tunnel, I guess. Um Anyway, I I don't know. I hope that more things happen, but I have enjoyed learning about like Omen Setter and uh, reading it from different people's perspective in the first half. Is everything fine over there? Yeah, Beth? yeah. <laughs> Jamie just uh, <laughs> Jamie's body. <laughs> um, yeah, that 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 is interesting about um, the. We'll, we'll turn the mic away for a second. Uh, that is interesting about, you know, hearing about the talk of this, that it wasn't talked about as much, but in certain circles and in certain parts of the internet, it is like regarded highly, uh, just by like certain authors specifically, uh, and even on Goodreads, like not a lot of ratings, but it is like well rated from the people that have read it. Like it was surprisingly yeah. high for the amount that uh, actually had rated it. But, uh, I will say, um, similarly, I, I was honestly at the beginning and I think it was good that we took a break. Like, again, this is in the context of like having taken a break, having all of us had started some of this book. And like, I was honestly a little out previously when I was reading it at the beginning and I was like, what is this? And I like, I felt somewhat of like, what have I done to, the, to this podcast? But but again, as I had mentioned earlier, specifically, you know, when it got to the point where I was removed from that first section, uh, you know, getting out of the triumph of Idrabestus Tot uh, and then getting into the more uh, traditionally narrative style of the love and sorrow of Henry Pember, you know, having that context made me appreciate that beginning more as like a general beginning of a book I really liked. Um, how the town was introduced in that way. And again, even when we're getting to that last section, I'll just reiterate it again, that like I was so surprised that how, and, and I, I don't feel bad saying this, but like it was beautiful writing for for Jethro Ferber's section. Uh, and again, I just kind of like, that was what drove me forward even when I was like, I don't know what he's saying, but like, you know, just it seems so playful the way it's written of like, you know, continuing to do all these different styles and committing to it for extended periods of time. Uh, I really appreciated that. And so um, I'll be curious to see how that breaks down moving forward, um, if the style will stay that way or as the plot moves forward, if that will change the style as well. Um, because it is very long uh, and we don't know, you know, with the state of, of the reverend's mind we don't know that like it's gonna stay within this style but uh i have really enjoyed it so far i i will say that i I've, i'm surprised at how much i i have enjoyed it uh given what my thoughts were at the beginning jamie <laughs> i had one more final thought um 
this is what I was like trying to say earlier a little bit, but then I forgot that I wanted to say this. Um, I don't hate this book. I, I want to make it clear. I haven't hated it. But I feel like with books like this, like Mrs. Dalloway, because I really, really love Mrs. Dalloway, but the context in which that I read it was like an upper level college course. And I had a professor there to explain it to me. And I feel like I would enjoy this book much more if I had that right now. So that's sort of like where my final thought is at of like, I don't hate it, but I felt very lost and I wish that I had like a guide telling me the things that I need to pay attention to. And unfortunately there are none. <laughs> As Daniel's point yeah. Out. Yeah. So that's why I but, have researched. But but uh, but also like I feel like having even discussed it, I, I was already feeling positively about it and having discussed it already, I thought this was a, a great up. I, I thought the discussion here was pretty good. And I think having discussed it with you guys helped me even appreciate it more because you guys brought more things to the forefront that I hadn't even considered so the gay wedding. Yeah, the gay wedding in particular. <laughs> come, come to this podcast for hot takes on yeah. uh, on on old reads. On reading real <laughs> into the text, maybe we don't know. We'll see. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Maybe. Um, so, so yeah, uh, great up, guys. We are back from our summer break. We are going to finish out season two of Beer Time with Books. We appreciate everyone that's listening. Uh, I don't know if he's gotten to the end, but we had somebody on YouTube that I need to respond to that was looking forward to these episodes. And we just <laughs> took a break right when he was like, hey, can't wait for you guys. Uh, I'll, we'll have to shout out at the beginning of next episode, but we apologize that you were looking forward to these episodes and we took a three fucking month break. Hope we did not disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... With that, we already mentioned uh, what books we're going to be doing after this one, but next episode we will be looking at the back half of Omen Setter's Luck. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and as is tradition, we gotta get a scat out of here. I think I did the last Brian, one, so I'm I'm Brian, I'm removing myself. Oh, did you do the last one? I think I did. You're always so critical of my scats. Go for it. We'll see. It's been three months. We'll see how your, <laughs> your creativity it, has, has developed. Okay. Woo! <laughs> oh, no. A zoopity zee, a squeedily bop. <laughs> That's it. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. We will catch Bye. you next time. <laughs>